Hello, fellow music lover. Welcome to Travels in Music, the podcast where we share stories about music from all over the world and explore a musical planet. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and I'm very happy that you're joining me today. And that's a plane flying overhead. Okay, the plane's gone, so we're back. Today's episode features my conversation with the American singer Maya Azucena, who has a very interesting cross-continental story to share. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, Maya travels the world inspiring people through her songs and listening to the stories of women from all different walks of life and social and political conditions. She sings and speaks, joining world movers at events such as TEDx Women, Secretary General Ban Ki-moon's Every Woman, Every Child movement at the United Nations, as well as the One Billion Rising campaign, an international effort to end violence against women. Maya has sung and performed throughout Asia, Europe, and the Americas, And in our conversation, she related some powerful and intense experiences from her performing as well as her personal life. In today's show, I asked Maya about how some traumatic personal experiences have impacted her art, how Asian audiences might differ from American audiences, and what it's like working to build a career in the confusing landscape of the 21st century music business. She also shares a very moving and powerful story about performing to a very special audience in Burma and what it reveals about the power of song and the incredible resilience of the human spirit. Every artist has a unique and compelling story to tell, but after our conversation, I would argue that Maya's story is more compelling than most. I really hope you enjoy sitting in on my chat with Maya Azucena. You know what makes me, makes me wanna holler. So first off, for, for my listeners who might be unfamiliar with your work, who are you and what do you do? My name is Maya Azucena, and I am a singer, songwriter, and I'm also a humanitarian uh, through music. I do a lot of touring all around the world, and I have the good fortune of being able to use my music as a a means for entering conversations about social justice and and human rights. Uh, yeah. And when did you realize that this was the path that you needed to follow in life? To be a singer, to sing at all, was something that happened just very young. Uh, it didn't actually decide. It was always something that I did. So at about the age of four, I was already memorizing songs and you know, planning to perform them for any audience I could create. (laughs) But the point at which I discovered that music is my superpower, as I like to say it, um, was around the time of September 11th, 2001. I was in New York City and I saw the second tower from the World Trade Center fall. And I, why that's notable is because I've often felt 
overwhelmed by mass tragedies. Um, I'm an empath in that way where when something absolutely terrible happens to people, I want so badly to do, be a part of helping in some way. And then there's this momentary feeling of helplessness because who am I? I'm just this one person and what could I possibly do to contribute? But when September 11th occurred, it was a tragedy on our turf, you know, right there, right in our city. And like so many people that lined up trying to offer blood to survivors that never came, I had that feeling again of being helpless. And somewhere in there, I had this overwhelming uh, surge of, you know, the overwhelming surge of, I have to sing, I, I have to sing, I have to sing. And it's in that that I recognize that music is my superpower and that this is my means of contributing to the conversation of solutions in the world. And from there, it became a process of being able to, you know, uh, become a full-time artist, uh, conscientiously applying my gift uh, to conversations around humanitarianism. And I was, I had the good fortune of being able to, um, you know, <laughs> have all these incredible experiences so far. Well, that's, that's really interesting that the September 11th had this impact on you. Was this, was this a gradual process or is it something you'd been, you'd been thinking about for a while and September 11th was kind of the catalyst for it or, or what, what was the timing? Yeah, I would definitely say it was a catalyst because prior to that, um, I always felt like I needed to do something and I wanted to do something, but I was unclear on how to um, apply that desire. Um, I, I already did things to help people, but it was separated from my craft. And so what was different about that time was, was when it dawned on me that I could use this thing that I love that's a part of me as the tool for contributing to the conversation and, and contributing to social change and contributing to um, some form of healing in the world. It, it became clear to me that that was how to do it as opposed to it being these two separate things floating around. So what, going back to that period, what were some of the first steps you took on this path? I mean, did you, did you go out right away and start looking for a record deal or, or how did that work? Um, there were like multiple kind of like if you're looking at a graph chart, there were multiple um, things like muscles being developed at the same time, some faster than others. I'm really in love with being an, a live artist, being on stage and connecting with people through live show is where I'm really in my element. Um, so that came very fast. I ended up starting a band and, uh, you know, doing shows. But to this point, the bulk of my career has been all independent. I've approached my music as a small business and have, have been able to, you know, pursue these fantastic and dynamic experiences through, uh, individual relationships that were created over time. 
So I was not on a major record deal. I was not given corporate backing. Um, but I had the good fortune of people that became fans and supporters of what I did. And, and those were, became crucial relationships in, in forming an international career. Um, I think a turning point, like a very pivotal turning point to get to the subject of your podcast and travel and was in 2008, um, I became part of a program that was sponsored by the U.S. State Department. The Cultural Affairs Department has a budget set aside to support American culture uh, abroad. And the first uh, tour that I did that was sponsored by the U.S. State Department uh, included four countries for five weeks of travel. Um, and we started in Burma or Myanmar, uh, made our way to China, uh, Philippines and Sri Lanka. And this is me together with my band from Brooklyn, New York. And in each city, uh, we were hosted by a U.S. embassy locally, and they helped to create programs in these cities that included festivals and concerts at, at universities and uh, workshops for young people, etc. And it launched something that hasn't died down. It's just grown from there. What, what do you mean it launched something that hasn't died down? Well, once I got into this network of U.S. Embassy uh, reps, um, the posts, because they have to change their posts every two to four years, a lot of the people that we met on that initial tour had to move on to other countries and other cities. And because of how well received I was on, in that initial um, tour, I, was, I have continued to be invited by different U.S. embassies around the world. So what happened from, from that was I received an invitation to Honduras and El Salvador and Haiti and Suriname and Tanzania and Russia, um, kind of through this alternative network. You know, most people pursuing a career in music don't think about how you could travel and be touring outside of the, the uh, kind of orthodox path of looking for a record deal and having a booking agent bring you. And this is part of the, your original tour was part of what's called the Rhythm Road American Music Abroad program, right? Yes, the original tour was a part of that program. And after that, it was uh, just... Uh, direct relationships with the different, um, my, my, uh, work preceded me. So right. I started to be invited directly. So I'm curious to go back to that original tour. I mean, had you done much travel before that? I had, but not nearly on the level that kind of ensued after that. So I had been all around Europe. Um, and 
and I had been all over former Yugoslavia at that point. Um, but this was definitely pressing out of the bounds that I had already been. And what, what was it like for you? I mean, for example, like, you know, in terms of playing music for people, how would an audience in, for example, Burma, different from the audience you might find in Brooklyn? Well, that's very specific because at the time that I went to Burma, they were, um, this was six months after monks had been slaughtered in the street by the dictator at the time. And so we were snuck in to the country um, under the radar. And we did all of our activities on uh, American soil. So we did all of our activities at the American Center, um, which is the domain of the American embassy and therefore abides by the laws of the U.S. and not by the laws of the time of that dictator at the time of that. So the young people that were coming to see us there at the American Center were essentially risking their lives to come and experience this music. And the first song that I sang, there was a break in the I don't know, like the first verse where all the music drops out and I say, his name is freedom. And as soon as I said the word, sang the word freedom, it was like this release and they just roared and exploded into dancing and just cheering. And for the whole rest of the show, it was just, just, it was just so hard to describe the feeling of being a part of this, these people's pain and then their joy. Um, so many young people had told me their stories and this is a very pivotal moment for them and I felt honored to be a part of it. How that differs from Brooklyn is, while we're very expressive in Brooklyn, I don't think that we know the feeling of that depth of oppression and the risk and and then the joy of tapping into something that represents freedom. Had you, going back to that moment in Burma, had you had a moment on stage or in performance like that before? I have to think about that. I've had a lot of I think I may have played in Bosnia, right, not far long before that, in Sarajevo. And when I played in Sarajevo, the, you know, the city was still um, recuperating from all of the damage that war had done to it. Uh... There was a lot, you could feel the sadness. It was a palpable sadness in the air. And you could see, like driving through the city, all these grassy knolls. And you're like, oh, that's a cute little park. No, no, that's a cemetery. Oh, that's a nice little park. No, that's a cemetery. And as you drive through, you realize that every area that didn't have a building was a cemetery. And we pulled up to the sports arena And the entire 
back parking lot of the sports arena had been converted into a cemetery. And this is the information that I was taking in before getting on stage later that night to sing for 10,000 people. And the words that I had to sing were, everything's going to be all right. Don't give up. And singing for 10,000 people in a sports arena, but feeling like every single person in that room was hearing that and getting that, receiving that. It was incredible. So it was different because in Burma, it was a very intimate uh, environment. I was singing with my eyes closed because I was afraid if I would, at, at one point, there was a particular song I had to sing with my eyes closed because I was feeling emotional. And I uh, didn't realize that there was a spontaneous line that was created by the audience where they were coming up to the stage and laying flowers at my feet. Wow. And when I opened my eyes, there's this little girl in front of me reaching her hand up with a flower. You know, that hasn't happened in Brooklyn because it's not that there's a lack of appreciation. It's just when it feels like life or death, there's another level of, of openness that, that you get from the audience. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. I, I'd, I'd be curious to learn more um, about how your experiences performing all over the world. I mean, you've played throughout Eastern Europe, uh, all over Asia, Central America. How have the, these experiences changed your artistry or your, your songwriting in particular? Like, are you trying more consciously, perhaps than before, to reach a global audience? The funny thing is, is that I really am built for this. I, I, I came out of the box when that September 11th moment happened for me. I started to consciously apply the notion that my songwriting could be integrated with connecting with people all around the world. And so that was already implied in my writing, my music, and my approach as a performer, um, which is why once I did get overseas into a cultural, as a cultural ambassador, I was already a good match for it, and it's easy for me to, to be invited back. Um, it didn't have to be shaped as an afterthought. It was already in place before. So for me... It was affirming to, to end up in China and have people clap at the same parts of the songs as people in New York clapped. And when I say, like in China, we needed translators for everything. So it's not like they know every single word of the song, but they could feel and receive what I was sending out and... And it was really cool because I philosophically believed that's what music could do. But I've been in a position to be able to test it in the widest array of, of audiences. Yeah, that's, that's really something. Um, yeah. 
it's 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 so corny to call it the, the universal language, but it really is true. I, I have to say, I mean, I I am an advocate for art as power, and I think art has this capacity to level a playing field, uh, bring people from all various persuasions, viewpoints together, and people with all different viewpoints can still be in love with and sing along to the same song. <laughs> and, and I, you know, funny enough, before I went to China, I read this uh, autobiography by Celia Cruz because I was feeling anxious, like I was going to get to China and no one was going to know what I was talking about and that I was not going to be able to connect with people the way I had hoped. And while reading Celia Cruz's autobiography, I was also listening to her music. And I don't understand every word that she's singing in Spanish, but every word that she sings, I know what she means because of she projects her intention through her singing. And that really gave me something before I went to China. I released it from, it's not about the literal uh, understanding of what it is. It's, it's what is your intention? What are you projecting? And that is the true communication that's, that people can walk away with. Uh, absolutely. And, well, and don't you find that, I mean, I like a lot of, uh, my Spanish is terrible, I speak a little bit, but um, I, lo I love a lot of Spanish music, uh, I like Arabic music, I like a lot of Indian music, um, I like bands from Iceland, and, and for me, it's, you might have a different experience, but for me, when I listen to sometimes to music that's, that's the singer singing in a different language, I almost don't want to know what the lyrics are, because I'm taking away my own impression, my own experience of it, and I, I have my own idea, I guess, of what they're singing about. I almost have the experience of, of, and it's kind of, I suppose it's kind of disrespectful to the lyricist, but I almost have an experience <laughs> of like, like I, what they're singing about is so beautiful that I don't, I don't really want to, to, to know what, what exactly what he's, what he's talking about. Well, that's cool. I mean, uh, that's like when, you know, you look at a, a painting or a photograph and sometimes it's better not to know what the painter was thinking because you've formed your own relationship to the image. Um, so I can respect that. And, but I also think that words are, are the, the surface, but the, what's underneath the words is the intention. So you could say the same statement and mean 10 different things. Right. Uh, and so what, what's really connecting with people is the intention, not, even the words themselves. Right, right. Um, you're involved in a lot of initiatives uh, to counter um, domestic violence. Tell me about One Billion Rising and how you became involved in that. Prior to the One Billion Rising campaign, domestic violence awareness was close to my heart already because I was in a very abusive relationship for seven years and um, having gotten past that, 
it was something important to me to empower other people who may be experiencing that. So once again, inside my lyrics, there were things that dealt with this. And I was invited to the Omega Institute, which hosts a lot of uh, conferences and special gatherings. And I was invited there to the Women and Power Conference, where these incredible feminist leaders from around the world came into this conference. And I was there to contribute as a singer. And at the orientation, I sang one of my songs and Eve Ensler, who, for those that don't know, she, uh, well, she wrote the vagina monologues. She's a playwright, but she's also an incredible, you know, uh, uh, feminine leader. And she was founding this concept, an international campaign to put an end to domestic violence and the campaign is called One Billion Rising, and she was just about to launch it. And she made a beeline for me after I sang my song. And she says, I need you for this campaign. I want you to write a song. And she commissioned me to write an anthem. And I wrote a song called Dance Revolution. And Dance Revolution reflects you know, theories in this campaign, because inside the campaign, the mode of, of defiance, the mode of freedom, the mode of taking a stand uh, to raise awareness about domestic violence was through dance. So there's flash mobs, there's choreography, there's all these different means of people coming together through dance. And so I wanted to lend a song that made sense in that concept. And I ended up creating a song that has a fairly universal message for anyone that has ever felt uh, isolated in their pain or felt repressed and pushed back for who they are. Uh, and so what was born out of it is Dance Revolution, which, which I think is a really fun song, actually. How did your experience of, um, okay, well, first off, tell me if this is um, not kosher to, to ask you, but I'm curious about your experience of, of how your involvement in this organization, how your experience of domestic violence, if that has impacted your artistry at all, or how it's, it's impacted it. How did the abusive relationship impact my art? Yes. Okay. Um, well, it impacted the 
it sharpened the warrior in me. Um, I already always felt like I wanted to stand up for people and not afraid to do so. But having had the firsthand experience of being feeling trapped and feeling very damaged by a person that I loved so very much, it, it just, you know, well, it definitely put me in touch with pain. <laughs> I don't, rec I don't recommend it, but, um, I understand it. I understand how pain can drive you to your lowest, to your lowest of lows. You know, I had a nervous breakdown in that relationship. So, I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? Like I can truly understand like somebody being at their wits end. And I try to, with my writing, speak into that place. So in other words, being an optimist and being a generally happy person, I'm naturally conveying all this kind of positivity in my words, but it's balanced with uh, not forgetting that I came out of something and we've all come out of something and we've all had moments of hurt and pain and disappointment or betrayal or that no one else really understands the depth of within us. And so in light of celebrating victory and joy, that's so much more poignant if I include the fact that we got through something, we survived something, we're still standing, you know? And I think that having been in that abusive relationship um, allows me to be sensitive to those depths, to those, to those dynamics. The music industry is in such a state of, of transition, some would say upheaval right now. I'm curious for you as an artist at this point in your career, what are the main challenges you face? The challenges uh, are that it is an industry that's suffering badly. Uh, largely the music industry, um, isn't particularly interested in things that have, you know, substance. They're more interested in something that makes money. Um, so that breeds a lot of things that are very shallow. So there's built in challenges, but that, but because the bulk of my career to this point has been grassroots and sort of outside of the formal machine. I actually found my way without the machine. Uh, and so I, I didn't quite, I have my own difficulties, but they're not because of the music industry. Right. Um, now I have a project that I'm about to release, which is, has a lot of potential to be, a breakthrough in the more mainstream way. Um, but now I feel that I have so much experience coming with me that I'm not um, phased by the frailty of the music industry because I, I think 
that I can navigate those waters due to the amount of experience I've had as an independent artist. So what are you working on right now then? Well, for the past two years, I was uh, writing and recording a whole new album. So I have about 12 songs at this point for a project that's called Unleash Me. Um, I think the title of the project does describe the record because each song speaks in different ways to being unleashed, being kind of overcoming various forms of obstacles and, you know, entering your truest potential. And I come from a personal place with the stories and speaking about my own, you know, <laughs> moments of wanting to give up or, or, or bad relationships, overcoming them, you know, these types of things. Um, and so I'm poised to re start releasing that project. And the first single for that uh, will be coming out in March and just working on some touring opportunities to support it and, you know, some talking to potential partners and things like that to support, you know, bringing it to the world the way I see it, the way I envision it. Well, I really it. look forward. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I really look forward to uh, to listening to it and I want to I want to thank you for your bravery and your time and it was uh, it was a real pleasure to talk to you today. So thank you very much, Maya. Thank you, Zachary, and thank you so much for having me and I appreciate you and your listeners for tuning in to me and this conversation. there you have it. That's my chat with Maya Azucena. And the song you were just listening to that played into this little end segment is called Favorite Song. And that's Maya's newest single. Uh, it's my favorite work of hers so far. And you can hear that song and you can learn more about Maya at her website at mayaazucena.com. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. It was... Um, I'm sure you heard my hesitation at one point asking her some um, some pretty raw questions, I guess, about her personal life and and about um, some of the trauma that she's been through. And it's it's something I'm still trying to figure out as a as an interviewer, as a writer, um, someone who talks to people uh, about this kind of thing. Um, you know, trying to to suss out someone's story and trying to better understand them and trying to present a well-rounded picture of whatever we're talking about while at the same time um, remaining respectful of their privacy and their dignity and not wanting to pry. And this is something I'm, I'm still figuring out, as you can, I'm sure, hear. But um, thanks to Maya for being so open and being so brave in, in talking to me today. I really, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate her and her work. Before I let you go, a very quick reminder that if you enjoy the show and you'd like to hear more, um, the best way you can help me is to leave a rating and review on iTunes as well as subscribe on iTunes. So if you haven't done that, pause this podcast right now and please subscribe. And if uh, you want to be extra fantastic and extra helpful, um, please leave a rating and review if you have a moment. 
And another reminder that if, if you'd like to learn more about um, my guests and the show and you'd like to refer to, um, or if you'd like links to anything we talked about during this episode, you can go to travelsinmusic.com slash blog and you can find the show notes where I include links to everything we talked about today. So that's it. My name is Zachary Stockhill. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I have an absolute blast doing these, and I'm glad people are enjoying them. And until next time, I'll remind you that life is short, so be sure to listen to good music and enjoy yourself. And I'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you.